When you've worked on the digital presence for famous artists like Taylor Swift and Rihanna, you get a real sense of what's required to grow and foster a substantial social following. That's exactly what Brendan Kane was able to do, not just for the famous artists, but also for himself as he grew a 1 million following on Facebook. My name's Jared Doyle, and this is The Frankel Podcast, where I interview experts from around the world to help startup founders like you drive your business forward. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode. This week, I am joined by Brendan Kane, who is a growth strategist, keynote speaker, and author of 1 Million Followers. Brendan's a growth hacker, but a growth hacker for Fortune 500 corporations, brands, and celebrities like Taylor Swift and Rihanna, where he's been influential in building online platforms for them. So there's a lot of experienced people, celebrities, and brands out there. And our goal today is to pick Brendan's brain and see what we can do and translate that to startup founder speak. Brendan, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Great. So, okay, I mentioned then I name dropped Taylor Swift and Rihanna, and, and these are huge international brands in their own right. And, you know, they're, they're brands around a person. And for me, businesses and and more so startups now, it's absolutely crucial that the founder and the, and the CEO of these companies starts to think about their personal brand and recognizing that their personal brand is going to be essential to the success of their company. And you just got to think of brands, um, personal brands like Steve Jobs, Elon Musk, Richard Branson, Mark Zuckerberg, and the impact both, both positive and negative. And, you know, Mark Zuckerberg's having to work on his brand. Elon Musk's personal brand goes up and down like a yo-yo. So I'm really keen to hear from you, Brendan, about how important it is for a founder of a company to work on their personal brand, and then we can kind of get into ways they can do that. Yeah, I think that you you bring up a really good point, and I would say that even in those instances that that you had mentioned, whether it's a Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg, is obviously first and foremost you need to build a great company and a great product. They didn't set out in the beginning to say, "Hey, I'm going to be the face of a big company or or be a be a part of the overall brand story." It just happened when they generated that scale. And as you mentioned, you know, putting yourself out there can be a huge asset or a huge liability for your business that you're trying to, to grow. Now, I choose to look at it as a significant opportunity and uh, one that can really play to your advantage in building a strong business and strong relationships with your customers, whether it's a B2B or a B2C company. Does that mean that from day one that you have to start out building that brand? No, like like Zuckerberg didn't focus on building his brand or Steve Jobs didn't until the, it reached critical mass or critical scale. But when you see, as you mentioned and pointed out that with Mark Zuckerberg, he struggled and he still struggles a little bit, but he's working on it very diligently to improve his overall brand perception to help the, the overall company. So I would say that if you're in a startup right now or you're scaling you know, just think about where you're at. Is it something that you feel like you can dedicate the time and resources to now, or is it something that you want to tackle once you, once you start reaching that that level of scale where you have to do it? Because it does take a lot of work. It does take a lot of time. But if you do put in that hard work and time and put the resources in, it, it can pay huge dividends, not just for your company, but the overall length of your career. And I think it's a really good point there is that if you build a personal brand around a startup or a company, and then at some point, inevitably, you will move on to a different company, a different career, but probably related, 
I guess you get the benefit of picking up your personal profile and carrying it with you. So if you invest early on in your personal profile and you grow that, that's something that you can actually take from one business and one idea and one job to the next. So I guess it's a it's a portable asset if you think of it like that. A hundred percent. Like I have to remind myself that every day because I am investing a significant amount of the revenue that comes in the door right now back into my personal brand. And it can be scary and it is scary. Uh, but I have to keep reminding myself that I'm playing the long-term game of reinvesting into my brand so that you can get to a place where you constantly have deal flow coming to you, clients coming to you, whatever it is that you may have, uh, because it does set you up for that long-term success uh, and long-term opportunity and deal flow. Whereas if you don't build that, that you listen, you can build a successful company and sell it and maybe you make enough money, you can retire. But most of us, you know, you have... Even if you have a successful exit, you still have to continuously uh, work or, or work on new projects. Or even if it's a passion project, having a personal brand can can help get it off the ground, whether that's strategic partnerships or financing or whatever it may be. And it's, you, know, you use the word personal brand or the phrase personal brand. And you think about that and, you know, maybe six, seven years ago, I would have thought that that's the kind of thing that only someone with a huge ego would talk about. But I think the reality is that we all have a personal brand. It's just the size of it. So even if you don't consciously think about a personal brand, you do, even if it's social and with friends or around a classroom or a workplace, you know, you have a personal brand. And so if you, once you start to think of it like that and treat it as a personal brand, yes, that might be a sort of slightly cold way to think about it, but that is the reality of what we all have in, a, in an increasingly social and online world. It becomes very important that we focus on these things. So I think it makes a, a lot of sense to start thinking of it like that. And I guess on the, on the flip side, you can also think about it negatively, right? So, you know, if you think about your personal brand, so if you're not thinking about your personal brand or you don't think that you have one, then you've got the chance of actually decreasing the value of it by doing stupid things like posting the wrong things that may come back to haunt you later on in life. Yeah, the mind shift that I, I had and I speak to people about because I do work with some very successful and prominent people that don't necessarily have a social presence and are, are very hesitant about it for the same reasons that you just mentioned. You know, am I going to come off like I'm just playing to my ego or am I going to do something stupid? To me, it's all about providing value. Like if you're providing authentic value to people and you go into the mindset of growing an audience or creating content that's going to impact somebody's life or their career in a positive way, or you're just sharing your knowledge, then you're going to head in the right direction. Now, I will say that you're going to get haters. Like I'm hitting an inflection point in my growth where it's growing to a point where I do get negative people commenting or emailing me and making people upset, which is, to be honest, it's not easy to deal with, but you just look at the overall positive picture and just realize it's a part of the process. So again, everything that I go back to is through your own authentic voice, how are you making a positive impact? How are you providing value? And that really is never going to steer you wrong. I love the idea of, yeah, paying it forward, authentic voice and sharing your wisdom, because I think sometimes you see, you know, what I would phrase as being sort of want to be influencers, particularly in the business setting, you know, so I, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn and you run the risk if it's not authentic, if you're not pulling from an area where you actually do have genuine knowledge, that you come across as being sort of self-serving and, and a bit condescending. You know, you, you sort of see the people out there telling you how to be successful and motivated and they kind of like almost like copy 
other influencers' ideas and they patch them up as their own. So it's almost like they hear, see Simon Sinek write something inspirational and they paraphrase it themselves. And you look and go, yeah, but you've got 300 contacts on LinkedIn and you're 21 years old. Like you can't possibly know these things. So I think sticking to that authenticity is, is actually really good advice. And for someone listening to this who's thinking to themselves, you know, that's, I don't really want to be a celebrity. I don't want to be a, an influencer or a brand. That idea of, well, you're not trying to be a brand. What you're trying to do is pay forward. I think is is really sound advice and, and is a good way to avoid being that inauthentic, you know, I guess, want to be influencer so you can get away from that. Um, and the other thing, you know, you mentioned there was just around that choice about choosing between personal brand and, and company brands. You know, if, if a business is starting off, if, it, if you're a, a startup with no, you know, company brand and very little personal brand, what's typically the, the easiest path to take, I mean, this is going to be an open-ended question, but you know, do I should I be focusing on the company's brand or my personal brand or both, or is are there different scenarios where you know you're better off focusing on the company or the product brand first? It's a great question, and I I would say that there's not really a simple answer to it because it really depends on the company you're starting. I would I would lend lend myself to starting with the company brand because, like, at the end of the day, your company is. It stands for something. It stands for a product. It stands for a service. So you really need to make sure that you solidify that messaging. Unless you're a one-man show and you're putting, you're the only person in the company. Which in, in that case, you should be asking yourself, well, why don't I just create a personal brand? Like if you're building a company, you're building a product, you're building a service. Like you need to really hone that in and to build two brands at once. I mean, that's difficult. Just to build one brand at once and once and do it well is is difficult. I mean, building brands is not an easy thing to do. So Unless there's a real strategic purpose of building your personal brand before your company brand or at the same time, I tend to start with, okay, let's just focus on on the company at hand. And then once it's taken hold, it's starting to scale, we're having success, we have revenue coming in, then you know you can start building out, building out the personal brand. Right. I guess that's, yeah. And I think your advice there around <laughs> focusing on one makes a lot of sense. If you try to split your efforts between your personal brand and a company brand, well, it's not just you're going to get half the results. I'm guessing it's going to be an awful lot less than half because you're just not going to get that traction point. And um, yeah, I mean, like there's like the example, the example of somebody that built both at the same time and had success in their personal brand actually has well exceeded the company brand is Gary Vaynerchuk. I mean, he, his personal brand is way bigger than VaynerMedia. And, you know, he was working on both at the same time. And he also, that was his vision is he wanted to build an agency that could support his personal brand at the same time. So there are instances, but like, listen, it's, it's, it's tough. It's tough to do. I mean, just with Gary, like he has a team of like seven or eight people full time focusing on his personal brand. And that, so that, that raises an interesting point, right? So we often, you look at things, anything, and you think, oh, well, it's all right for Gary because you know, he's got six or seven people or Richard Branson's got multiple, you know, billion dollar companies or whatever it happens to be. And so you often stop and think, well, it's easy for them because they've already got an audience or a brand or money or whatever it happens to be. What can we learn from those kind of celebrities or even celebrities and brands that you've worked with that we can apply the same techniques, but in a, in a low scale, lower cost way? So first off, you know, I'll I'll say it myself. I've got like six or seven people working on my brand. They're not full time; they're contractors. But like for myself, I'm willing to take that risk. I'm willing to make that investment because I close one client and it pays for all of it. And it's the same with Gary's brand. It's like he closes one of his clients, which are multi million dollar deals, 
it pays 10x of what he's investing to build his personal brand. So first off, if you're thinking about, do I invest into my personal brand? Do I hire people? Do I hire content creators? Which is generally a good idea if you are taking it seriously. Understand how that return on investment is going to take place, what the size of that return on investment is going to be uh, comparable to where you're allocating those dollars in your personal brand versus your overall company brand. Now, for the people to your original question of what about people that just want to start just by themselves and and start building it? I, I think that there's a few questions to ask yourself. First off, choosing the right platform. What is the platform that you're most passionate about? which I think is a very important question because it needs to be something that you're excited about doing. And secondarily, what platform are your clients on or or you're going to derive business from? And then third, what is the content format that you feel like you can do on your own? Do you feel comfortable on camera? Do you feel comfortable uh, doing podcasts or audio? Do you feel comfortable as a photographer or a writer? Whatever your core skill set is, that's where I would start and and just build it up incrementally. But to me, like focus on that return on investment question. Why are you doing this? Like why are you building a personal brand? What does that end goal look like? Because that will dictate how much time you put into it and how much money you put into it. And it makes things a lot clearer when you know what the potential outcomes can be from putting in the the time and the resources. Okay. And and you know, you're talking about having a team of people, you know, Gary having a big team, you having people help out and and it could be different kind of levels. What what kind of cuz obviously when you want to get started there's, there's different people can help in different roles and facets, but what are the kind of things that a that a personal brand team around you might do? Like what are the kind of roles or the titles that those people do and what are the tasks that you outsource to them? You know, just so somebody's sort of looking at this and going Right now, I do everything myself, and I don't do that much of it. So, wh- where where are the first places you go to bring people in to help you when you're sort of working on your personal brand? Well, everything comes down to content. It's you cannot have success in building any brand. You cannot have success on any social or digital platform without content. So, a lot of the resources that like a Gary has or that I have is really honed in on content. I'm investing heavily into content. So, I have a writer that helps me write content. I have a creative director that's very well-versed in social analytics, social data, the different formats of structures, how to structure content to communicate effectively, to get people to engage. Then we have a videographer that shoots the content. We have a script writer and we have editors. And then I have somebody that manages like Instagram growth because we're focusing heavily on Instagram uh, now that we've really we've spent about, or I spent about three years affecting Facebook and spent the past eight months affecting Instagram. So we've been focused heavily on that. And now we're starting to get into YouTube. So for, for everything that I look at of building a team, it's how can you create the most compelling and effective content? If you do that, everything else will fall into place. But without that, there's no way you can have success. It's great advice. I um I want to take a little bit of a, a pivot now that I've started thinking about bigger teams and people who, and and brands and celebrities. You know, you can't go past your LinkedIn profile without pulling out some of the brands and some of the celebrities in there. I, I'd love for you to just talk just a little bit about the social platforms that you built. You know, for artists like Taylor Swift and, and Rihanna. And and I say that as you know, I don't really go along. I'm not a sort of big fan, but I've got a ten year old daughter who loves Taylor Swift. So I feel like anyone who's been able to engage and and seeing her online power and the kind of influence she has. I'm, I'm really keen if you just, just explain to us a little bit about what you did 
for them and the platforms you built and why you you built those platforms and then what the end results were? Yeah, so those deals and that, and that, that work that I did with both of them, I think it was, and I lose track of time sometimes, I think it was seven or eight years ago and the way that it happened was I, I built some technology platforms that I licensed to MTV and Viacom, created a strategic partnership with them. And through that strategic partnership, it opened up the doors to work with both of them. So for Taylor Swift, for example, you know, I just brokered this partnership with them around a website build a building application that could dynamically write code for you. Basically, you could drag and drop anything on the screen. And the executive I had done the deals with is like, hey, do you want to go meet with Taylor Swift? And at the time, I didn't know who she was. She wasn't the big megastar that she is today. And I said, sure. Like, I'm always up to meeting interesting people, especially if somebody from MTV is recommending you should. And, you know, it, it was a series of meetings to get to the actual deal and everything. So we started off meeting with the manager and then meeting with the father and then mother and then finally with Taylor. And basically what had happened at the time is that Taylor had a website that was an all flash website that they spent a ton of money building. And in looking at the analytics and data, they had a huge bounce rate. It was like 95% off the homepage and the average time spent on site was like less than 30 seconds. And through that narrative and talking to people and learning more about Taylor, I had learned that she had built her fan base one by one herself, and she didn't have a huge record label or millions of dollars of budget behind her. And she really liked that control. She leveraged social media to interact with all the fans. She made sure to, to respond to comments, take photos with fans, sign autographs, because she understood the power of fostering that one-to-one communication with fans because it turned those fans not only into a fan that was going to purchase her tickets and merchandise and music, but also somebody that was now a brand advocate for her, somebody that was now willing to share her music with the world, her her content. And that's how she scaled so quickly because at the time when she was, you know, starting to build up this brand, it's when social profiles were becoming an intricate part of everyday teenager life. And no longer was it that a fan would just, these new brand advocates would tell three to four of their closest friends, they would post on their social platforms and reach hundreds, thousands, in some cases, tens of thousands of people with each post. So she was really brilliant and successful because of that mindset and approach. So knowing that going in, I remember the first meeting that we had with her with MTV is I prepped for that meeting by rebuilding her entire site, like a brand new website from scratch in less than like six hours on our platform. And in that meeting, it was all about giving her the power and the flexibility to change any element of it that she wanted. She could change the navigation. She could change the background image. She could build a new page. And she could do it all herself if she wanted to because it didn't require any reading or writing code. And at the time, she was still actively engaged. I mean, very quickly afterwards, uh, she was scaling so big that she couldn't focus on it. But that was really the, the selling point to her. And then as we started to build more platforms and get more entrenched with our team, what we noticed was there was a core group of diehard fans that actually took the time to read and write code so that they could build a Taylor Swift fan site. And at the time, I believe there was maybe like 30 or 40 Taylor Swift fan sites. And we came up with the idea is, well, why don't we give fans the access and the power of the platform that Taylor's site was on? And we created an extension on top of the platform that literally we could turn any Facebook profile into a custom Taylor Swift fan site automatically with a click of a button in less than 60 seconds. And the way that we had 
went about that is when you click that button, you would give us permission to access your name and your photos, and we would extract it through the API, and then we would embed it in one of 15 designs that you could choose from. And again, it was built on the same platform that Taylor's site was, was built on. So as soon as they got access to that site, they could dynamically change any element on the page uh, themselves without knowing reading, how to read or write code. So with that platform, we went from about 30 Taylor Swift fan sites to about 35,000 in a matter of a few months. And each one was tapping into that brand advocacy that she had built from the beginning, sharing. So each one was sharing Taylor's music and Taylor's message with the world. And Rihanna had saw the success personally with the Taylor platform and, and really liked it and had her record label Rock Nation reach out to us. And for Rihanna, we built a, a little bit of a, a different platform because at the time, it was when Facebook timeline cover first came out. So we had take, taken all of her album artwork from over the years and plugged it into a similar platform where, again, you with a click of a button, we could extract your name and your photos and automatically insert it into Rihanna's album artwork. And it was designed in such a way that it could fit at the top of your Facebook timeline cover. So literally, without having to use Photoshop or anything, with a click of a button, you could make yourself look as if you collaborated with Rihanna on your favorite album with her. And, <laughs> I love that and, idea. Yeah, again, that was... Uh, tapping into that brand advocacy and it was uh, another real successful platform. So those are the the two stories around around the the technology that we built for those musicians. What what I love about that is that it it taps into three really important elements of marketing and one is that it's obviously there's a strategy that's baked into the core proposition the core the core personality of the of the artist, you know, you started talking about Taylor Swift and her engagement, one to one engagement with her audience, and so building a strategy around that one to one engagement was was crucial. And then I love the way it's also about timing, you know. So it's about recognizing there's an opportunity now in the marketplace to say, you know, this is new. So with timeline photos with Rihanna, or it's you know building websites really quickly, which wasn't new, or the ability for people, you know, really to connect on social media, and that's exploding six seven years ago. It's, you know, sometimes it's about the timing as much as the tactic. So, you know, it's strategy first and then baking a tactic into the here and now because it's always easier, you know, if you're at the front run of some kind of technology. So thinking about that and, and taking advantage of, you know, new platforms, new technology, new features, is there you know, in your mind now, what are the what is the hot sort of areas of social that you think are you know, going to be tapped into and, you know, major I guess, personal brands or company brands are going to be able to exploit in the next sort of six to 12 months if you've got your crystal ball out and you're kind of predicting the future here? Well, to me, it still comes down to the core for Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn. And again, it goes back to that question of which one are you most passionate about and which one do you feel like your clients are on? And also understanding the consumption behavior and the opportunity with each one. So Facebook, very, very significant scale, global scale, a tremendous ad platform from a targeting perspective and the effectiveness of, of generating B2C business. You can use it B2B in, in certain ways. And obviously the advertising platform extends to Instagram, but Facebook has tremendous scale because it has the largest user base, but also the whole platform is built upon shareability. So it's just putting content in front of the right people and it shares and exponential growth goes out where out. Uh, YouTube, has long form consumption behavior. It's one of the few platforms you can get people to watch long form content. People will watch 10, 15, 30 minute, some, in some cases, hour or two hour long videos 
uh, YouTube people generally classify as a social network, which there is social components to it. But at the end of the day, it's really a search engine. So it is a powerful content marketing platform from that regard. And then Instagram, like Facebook, short form consumption behavior. Instagram is kind of the hot kid on the block right now because YouTube uh, got hit with the brand safety issues. So a lot of brands pulled dollars out of that and have focused more on Instagram where you don't have those brand safety issues. And the engagement is is pretty significant in terms of IG stories and content in the feed. Now that's going to decline over time as more people get on the platform. And the consumption behavior is is pretty solid with there. The growth mechanism is very different than Facebook where you have to extend content out to drive traffic back. Similar principles with with YouTube. And then LinkedIn, you know, as as you know, because you're on the platform a lot, it's a strategic sniper approach to hyper-targeting B2B deals and, and B2B strategic partnerships. I mean, over the years, I've closed tens of millions of dollars of business uh, reaching out to the right people with the right message. So I think that, yes, there's going to be other emerging platforms out there, but I think po- focusing on those four because they're at critical st- scale, critical mass, and they all have very smart people behind them. They have a solid foundation. It's not like a MySpace or a Friendster where it's just going to drop off. And I think that there's still a tremendous amount of growth potential. It's still early. And that's where I would focus my attention. And it is where I'm focusing my attention. Yeah. Is there, um, I'm curious to know, and you might, there might not be an answer to this, but are there people that you're seeing in profiles or brands that you're seeing on any of these particular social channels that you're looking at the moment going, right now they haven't got a big following, but I think they're playing this game right and it's someone who I can watch. And the reason I ask this is sometimes, you know, it's, it's great to look retrospectively back at success stories and sort of say, hey, look what they did. And you can kind of, you see people who are doing it well now at scale. But I'm just wondering with your experience, are there people that you can sort of point to on any of those platforms, Instagram or Facebook or LinkedIn? And you sort of think this person, okay, small following at the moment, but I feel like they're going in the right direction. Because it's sometimes it's interesting to watch. It's kind of like a tip for a racehorse that you think might be something or a runner or a tennis star. You know, everyone's got those tips, like, you know, a young tennis person gets on the tour and you think, watch this kid, you know, they might be something. Do you have the equivalent on social media, people that you've got your eye on at the moment that we could maybe follow at the same time? Are we talking about individuals or companies? Oh, I guess either. I mean, companies probably is easier to point out. So maybe like um, small companies that look to be well, doing really well on social. Well, it's just because you bring up an interesting, uh, an interesting point. So there is a company that I have a friend that's the chief, uh, the chief growth officer and chief product officer of called FabFitFun. And they actually, they reached a billion dollar valuation in five years. And they don't focus really on social followers for their brand, even though they do have them. They're not huge numbers. But they are the smartest marketers out there. Like when they focus on paid acquisition, they have every single paid acquisition channel working with them. They're, they've got influencer marketing dialed in. They've tested over 10,000 influencers. So when you look at their social channels, the numbers may not be the biggest or the most impressive, but they've really got it dialed in and they really understand how to leverage social to really grow and build a company. So I think that that one is one that, that really stands out to me trying to think of some individuals on scale. I'm just thinking about the concept of testing 10,000 influencers. That sounds like hell on earth to me. <laughs> like having having done a few different deals, you kind of like sometimes these things can drag out and there's egos that are going to be checked. But 10,000, I mean, how do you do that at scale? Are they using platforms or agencies or a combination yeah, I mean, of everything? It, they, they initially started le- leveraging a platform and I believe an agency 
and then they built the expertise in-house. But it's just all about structure, organization, and just understanding how to test and rapidly iterate. Yes, it sounds like a daunting task, but once you kind of build a strong infrastructure into it, you can do it. Now, I think their influencer team at this point is like five or six people, but uh, it's not like they just started day one testing that many influencers. It's been over the course of a, a few years, but course, it's definitely feasible. I guess, you know, one, one question that I love asking, which usually catches people a little bit off guard is, is there something at the moment, sort of a truth that you believe and, and, a, and a vision that you have that you find that lots of people don't agree with you on? So something where you find, you know, you post this theory and you get, you know, you speak about those haters or people come back at you. I'm curious to know what's the most debatable or you know questionable sort of theory that you've got around social marketing at the moment, if you're willing to share it on the podcast with us. Yeah, sure. I mean, one of the things that I talk about, and I have a whole ch- chapter in my book about it, is emerging markets and the global opportunity. Now, most people will look at India or Africa or Indonesia and say, oh, those are fake people or there's no inherent value in it. Yet, if you look at the trends of the smartest people on the planet, that's where they're focused. So you look at a Netflix, they say their next 100 million subscribers is coming from India. You look at Google they recognize and also Facebook recognizes that a third of the world's population is still not connected to the internet. So that's why you have Google putting up hot air balloons, which sounds crazy over Africa to try and find ways to connect people to the internet that are not connected. Uh, Facebook, you know, they announced last year that India is their largest country on the platform. And I believe it's the same for Instagram. And I think for, for Facebook, I think they said they have like 300 million people in India on the platform. And there's 1.3 billion people in the country. It's going to be the world's largest population in in less than five years. And that's why they're investing so heavily. Uh, Tesla, you know, India is the next big market. So I'm a huge believer in it. And I do a lot of studying. I, I do a lot of tests around follower acquisition in those markets. And some people look down upon that and they say, oh, that's not real or there's no inherent value there. Uh, but to me, like, there's probably a three to five year window to really capitalize off of it before everybody catches on and goes after that. So that's that's one thing that I, I, I think. And also coming from the movie industry, you look at movie box office, 60 to 70% of box offices is generated uh, internationally versus domestically. And there are certain movies that completely fail here in the States and they only survive because of the fact that they have those international markets. I must I must admit when I, um, I was sort of in my early 30s and doing marketing campaigns for brands like coca-cola or burberry and you know when you're speaking to the global cmos behind those brands they really schooled me on that because i had that natural sort of focus on i was working out of london so i was focused on the uk the us i got australia and and i'd sort of throw australia in there they look at we just don't care like why do we care about 20 million people down here just above you there's another country with 200 million people like it's just it's a non-issue for us like australia could disappear and it's not going to really affect coke's revenue numbers in a meaningful way but if India or Indonesia disappear or the Philippines, that's meaningful. And then you just have that moment, you just go, I need to check myself and recognize that I live in a global world. And, you know, me particularly living in a country of only 22 million people, you realize you're actually quite insignificant. We punch way above our weight, you know. So everyone in America has some concept of Australian culture, yet you probably shouldn't do. And so we, we, we're, we over-index on marketing budgets. And so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's fantastic advice. And I think it's something that... Um, you know, I think Listen, it's not for everybody. Like if you're a local business, like it doesn't make sense. But if you're trying to build a, a real solid brand or if you're in your entertainment or someplace where there is a global perspective, 
I highly recommend looking into it because a lot of people are looking the other way right now. And it's not always going to be that way. Exactly. And I guess, you know, linking this back to your book, you know, it's the title of 1 million followers. It's probably, if you're going to get there, you're probably not going to get it just targeting people out of New York City. So if people want to, and just speaking of your book, if people want to find your book, I assume Amazon and all good book retailers are stocking your book. Is that correct? Yeah. And if people want to, you know, engage, engage with you, but chat, follow your thoughts and ideas, what's the, uh, what are the best social channels or platforms or websites to go to, to find you online? Yeah. So there's on Facebook, it's Brendan James Kane. That's the one I built a million followers in 30 days on Instagram at Brendan Kane. Uh, you can direct message me. We're, we're actively pushing that. We'll probably hit a million followers on that channel in the next like three or four months. Or you can just email me. Uh, my email is B as in boy, Kane, K-A-N-E at Brendan, B-R-E-N-D-A-N-J, Kane.com. That's brilliant. And um, yeah, I must, I had on my list here of questions. It was, it was actually going to discuss the 1 million followers in Facebook and I didn't do it. But I guess the short answer to that is don't worry about it now, buy the book and read all about it, I guess is the, the hot tip. Yeah. I mean, we break down every platform in the book. It's not just my tactics and strategies, but strategies from all different types of peoples and partners. Like the, the my friend that's the chief product officer of FabFitFun, I, I interviewed him for the book and broke down his strategies and there's a lot of uh, in-depth knowledge from some of the smartest people that I've ever worked with about different ways to grow brands, whether that's a company brand or an individual brand. That's great. I'm going to, um, I must admit, I haven't read the book and I feel like I should have done before I spoke to you, but um, I'm going to do that now and order it. And then, um, and then I, I might even, I, I've, I've started collecting books that I get people to sign. So I might have to chase you up on that one and get one ordered directly from you or do something like that. But thank you, Brendan. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate you um, taking the time to speak to us. I think there's some great advice and some great nuggets, particularly around, you know, a global focus and, you know, the, some of the strategies you've given us today, as well as, you know, your unique experience working with celebrities and, and over the years. I think that sort of advice and experience that is pretty rare these days. Most of the people who do that kind of work are, are sort of squirreled off. So I really appreciate you sharing your advice and your experience out in the public with everyone. For sure. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes, or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot, and I look forward to speaking with you next week.